Hello, I'm Uncle Sean, and I'm so glad you could be here with me today. I don't know about you, but I love to read, and what I love to read most are stories. Stories filled with imagination and wonder and adventure, and most of all, hope. Because when I read stories filled with hope, it changes the way I see my world, and everything is better. Today I'm going to share with you a story I wrote called Nicholas the Bringer. It is our gift to the world, and it is filled with just all kinds of things. Uh, <laughs> adventure, humor, love, um, and it should be a wonderful story, and I hope a wonderful gift for you and anyone you care to share it with. So without further ado, we will start reading Nicholas the Bringer by Sean Connelly, and this is chapter one, entitled Lost. The pain was unbelievable, and yet it was the only thing that kept Nicholas moving through the night. His flowing dark hair lifted in the cool desert breeze as he bobbed along atop his reliable steed, Apollo. At least his beautiful white stallion, a gift from the king, managed to escape unharmed from the attack. He thanked the gods for small favors, though he doubted they'd hurt him if they even existed at all. They were certainly absent when the arrows started flying. Nicholas dared not stop to attend his wound, for fear the Roman and his minions would find him and finish the job they started. Though he tried pulling the arrow from his chest several times, he nearly passed out from the searing agony, not to mention how hard it is to do much of anything while riding horseback. But he had mastered the complexities of the Parthian shot, firing arrows behind you as you ride away, so he kept trying as any future member of the King's Guard would do though any hope he had of joining their ranks or even catching up with the caravan dimmed with every passing moment. As the sun crept over the horizon, Nicholas took the luxury of reining in Apollo and stopped for the first time since his escape. He dismounted on wobbly legs, struggling to keep his balance. He would have laughed at himself if he could have spared the breath. What a pathetic mess he'd become. Breathing nervous, shallow breaths, he steeled himself for another attempt at dislodging the twisted arrow that had taken up residence in his chest. Arrow extraction was conveniently left out of any training he had ever been given, not that it would make it hurt any less. Resigned to his fate, Nicholas gently gripped the arrow shaft with both hands and closed his eyes and pulled. Ah, the pain took his breath away, his icy blue eyes wide with surprise. Then it came back in a half-choked, agonizing cry of frustration that echoed across the desert valley and beyond. Stubborn arrow. Surely his trackers heard such an unbridled howl, he thought. Soon they would descend upon him like a pack of wolves for the kill. What a birthday. He should have been home celebrating with a feast of dedication, a feast where he would announce his path, his life's vocation before friends and family. Then they would all applaud his choice and shower him with gifts to support him in his new pursuit. But there would be no feast. Not now. And who would celebrate Nicholas' return even if he made it back to the caravan? Everyone he cared about was gone. The Roman had seen to that, yet another topic of his combat training that failed to address. At least he still had his mother's locket. Perhaps it would bring him some measure of comfort in the face of such less-than-ideal circumstances. Nicholas reached into his filthy white robes and pulled out the locket, which he wore on a small chain around his neck. The thick, circular brass locket was decorated with three swirling, vine-like decorations 
with a small hole on the side for a winding key. Nicholas inserted the key from the chain and turned it several times. The locket responded with a tinkling lullaby that flooded his soul with soothing warmth. A smile appeared on his wispy, bearded face as he bathed in the dawn of a new day. Perhaps he could outlast his pursuers. All was not lost. Not yet. Come, Apollo, he said to his horse with strained effort as he climbed back into the saddle. We will never give that Roman the satisfaction of catching us, shall we? On to glory, my friend, on to glory. Sensing his master's renewed determination, Apollo took off at a light gallop, raising a dust of raising a cloud of dust as man and horse sped away, the chiming melody of the locket drifting across the arid landscape while they escaped to nowhere. <clears throat> By midday the heat was devastating. Nicholas floated in and out of consciousness, his face beaded with perspiration and grit as he bounced atop Apollo through a sparsely vegetated canyon. He had followed a dry creek bed up a canyon, hoping to find a small puddle or some sign of water, but the further he rode, the drier it seemed to be, and the rocky walls seemed to be closing in on him. Unwilling to surrender his fate to nature or man, he defiantly pushed on. Nothing would overtake him if he could help it though the stabbing pain in his chest constantly reminded him that time was running out. And then his mind began playing tricks. One moment the pain was searing. The next moment it faded along with the arid scenery and he saw a bright light that filled the space. And in that light a woman clothed in a brilliant white robe smiled at him with a familiar warmth. Nicholas, the woman called out, looking surprised to see him. Nicholas jolted back into consciousness, and the pain returned with a fury. He scanned the desert landscape, looking every direction for the sound of the voice. He had heard of those who had found themselves lost in the desert and imagined things, but this one knew his name. Perhaps the sirens of Odysseus had found their way to this sea of forsaken misery to torment and destroy any who were unfortunate to pass their way. Finally satisfied that it was just a mental mirage, he gave Apollo a gentle pat, and the horse picked up the pace for a moment before settling back into an ever-slowing gait. <clears throat> Nicholas hung on the monotony of the endless desert until it faded, and he found himself in a snow-covered forest of fir trees bathed in the light of a great star that shone overhead. He could see his breath in the frigid air. He actually felt the cold. Impossible. Then he noticed there was a glow coming from behind him. He turned to find the woman in white standing right before him. A brilliant glow of light surrounded her, and in his eyes he saw both relief and concern. At last, the woman exclaimed, I thought I lost you. Lost me, he said. Nicholas, there is no time. You must push on. The children need you. The children? You are to bring them hope. Your brothers will help brothers, he questioned. The woman smiled and the light around her grew brighter until Nicholas found himself returned to the heat of the desert. A blast of hot, dusty wind stung his face and jarred him back into reality. He put a hand up to shield his eyes and realized he was no longer in the canyon, but in a vast desert plain with no oasis in sight. He wondered how long he'd been dreaming, for that is what the woman was, a trick of his fatigued mind to block the pain but the pain of his wound was slowly sapping him of any life he had left. 
He had to find water before he and Apollo both collapsed. But where? He had no maps, and as far as he could see, there were no palms or plants of anywhere that would signal the presence of water. Far in the distance, he thought he saw a group of snow-capped mountains. There might be water there, if they were real. At this point, Nicholas found it hard to believe anything he was seeing. But having no better plan, he decided to head in their direction and hope that they were not a mirage. When the scorching sun finally dipped below the horizon, the mountains still loomed in the distance, but they were closer and definitely real. The only question was if man and beast would last long enough to reach them. Nicholas could tell Apollo was struggling, so he tried walking. But after a handful of steps, he stumbled and nearly drove the arrow deeper into his body. With great difficulty and pain, he climbed back into the saddle, and there he stayed as Apollo obediently plodded along. As the sky darkened, the desert winds died down, and soon only Apollo's thudding steps and Nicholas' labored breathing could be heard across the arid landscape. A full moon was out, which was oddly comforting, and Nicholas' thoughts drifted to the words of the woman in his dream. The things she said made no sense. The children need you? He knew few children, and the ones he knew were more of a nuisance than anything else. <laughs> Your brothers will help you. What brothers? He grew up alone in the household of an unpopular magi priest. There were no other children, and certainly no brothers. It had been a lonely existence, but now his life was even more barren, and he ached for relief from the misery. Perhaps that is why he dreamed such things. The pain, the grief, and the guilt over what had happened combined to produce something to pacify his soul and make everything all right. And yet deep down Nicholas knew nothing was right. Everything had gone wrong, and now he was paying the price for his foolishness. At last Nicholas' body surrendered, and he fell off Apollo, his quiver of arrows spilling across the ground as he mercifully landed on his side, then rolled onto his back. Apollo turned and nudged his fallen master, but Nicholas could barely raise his head in response. So the horse did what every faithful animal does. He stood guard. As the darkness deepened, sounds and shadows seemed to grow. The howl of a jackal jolted Nicholas' drifting mind into full consciousness, though he knew he had no strength to mount any kind of defense. How ironic that he managed to best a squad of armed soldiers but he was too weak now to fight off a common scavenger. Unwilling to surrender, Nicholas gathered what strength he could and unsheathed his sword, ready for whatever might come. But he was fading fast. Then he heard it. The faint sound of sleigh bells drifting through the air, pulling him from the brink of unconsciousness. He'd never heard such bells before. But when Apollo's ears perked up, he knew it was not his imagination and the sound was getting closer. It appeared to be coming from somewhere just beyond a small grassy hill. Grassy hill? Had he been so out of it that he failed to notice the change in terrain? And the mountains were much closer now. There had to be water nearby. He tried to rise, but his body would not respond. He hardly had the strength to keep his eyes open. Unable to escape the approaching bells and whatever came with them, Nicholas turned his head in the direction of the sound and awaited his fate. Suddenly, a swirl of tiny lights and sparkling colors 
flew over the hill and zipped towards Nicholas. The lights blew in like a swarm of luminescent fireflies and bobbed above his body in some kind of celebratory dance. The sight both alarmed and amused Nicholas. Apollo whinnied in process, his head swaying to avoid the flying pests. Then, as if summoned home, the swarm of lights flew up a hill to their source. A large, luminous orb encased in an ornate brass setting with a handle. The orb was held by a small, white-bearded man wearing a deep blue, fur-lined triangular cap with a blue tassel at the end. He was dressed in a brown, high-collared, fur-lined coat trimmed in the same deep blue as the hat with leather breeches and brown curled-toe boots. The little man sat upon a grand white reindeer stag, its harness decorated in multicolored tassels and sleigh bells. Though the deer and rider were a curious sight, the orb the man carried captivated Nicholas even more. It was unlike any lamp Nicholas had ever seen. It pulsed with light as if it was alive, and the shimmering glow bugs wove around the sphere in a mini whirlwind. Five more tiny men crested the hill and joined the man with the orb, all bearded and dressed in similar attire with varying colored hats and their own reindeer mounts. Four sought rode side by side, bells jingling, followed by the final man atopped his deer as he rode towards Nicholas and Apollo. The swarm of lights danced and wove through the deer back riders like an excited dog, momentarily pausing here and there, eager to lead its owners to its new find. Though they were the size of children, the little men were perfectly proportioned and rode their reindeer at a gentle yet cautious pace. As the bearded riders approached Nicholas, Apollo grew uneasy and stood in front of his master defensively. The leader, the man in the blue cap, raised a hand and halted the procession. Then, as if some kind of unspoken communication had transpired, Apollo sensed these men meant no harm to Nicholas and stepped aside. One by one, the bearded men dismounted and gathered around Nicholas. He looked at them, up at them in cautious wonder, not knowing their intentions, but too weak to fight them. Help me, Nicholas gasped with effort and feeble hope. A collective gasp fell over the group. The little men looked at each other in amazement. He speaks our tongue, one man said in a burnt orange cap with odd excitement. Another man in a mustard yellow cap added to the thought. That means he needs help, a man in a crimson cap interrupted as he stepped in. The others stared at him, frozen in thought. Now, the man demanded. Frustrated at their sluggish response, the man in crimson huffed and turned to Nicholas. But before he could lift a finger, the leader pulled him back. By thunder, the crimson man cried in frustration. Benjamin, the leader called in crimson, called the man in crimson. This is Daniel's calling. He is the healer. He knows nothing of battle wounds. He may not, but there is someone greater who does. Ben, the man in crimson, huffed in frustration, then stormed back to the reindeer who grazed apart from the rest of the group. Daniel, a man wearing a forest green cap, swallowed hard and feigned confidence as he knelt by the young warrior's body surrounded by the others. He nervously inspected Nicholas' stained white robe and sized up the wound. This may hurt, Daniel told Nicholas with apprehension as he swallowed. Nicholas nodded with his eyes, his head barely moving. Ready? Daniel extended his shaking hands and delicately grasped the shaft of the arrow, 
placing a foot on Nicholas' side for leverage. He closed his eyes and took a deep breath. Opening his eyes, he tugged on the arrow with vigor, but he broke the shaft, the short splintered end still embedded in Nicholas' chest. Nicholas looked at the little man in breathless pain and disbelief. Daniel cringed with sheepish, apologetic eyes, still holding the broken end. Nicholas wanted to strangle the stranger, but mercifully for the little man, he passed out. Acting quickly, Daniel tossed the broken piece aside, turned the splintered shaft slightly, and pulled the arrow out. What have you done, healer? Van exclaimed, returning to the circle around Nicholas. Sissa, save this man, Daniel said with relief as he tossed the removed arrow point aside and sat down on the grassy earth beside Nicholas. Ben knelt to study the wound, but before he could intervene, the swirling swarm of lights from the leader's orb unexpectedly shot out and spiraled down into the wound. The lights caused the skin around the wound to glow from within. Then, their work done, the luminescent fireflies exited the wound, producing a glowing scar in their wake, which quickly vanished, leaving no trace of Nicholas' arrow wound. The men looked at each other, unsure of what had just happened. Still smarting from a rebuke he received moments earlier, Ben took even more, greater offense over what was said next. It is the seventh, the leader said, all smiles. He even speaks our tongue. We have found him at last. Are ye blind, Ben said. He's not Alpharim. He looks nothing like us. The prophecy never said he would be like us, only that we would find him and find him we have. Now let us make haste and bring our new brother home before we are discovered. This is dangerous, Ben said. Then perhaps you should be the one to watch over this young man and his animal. Gladly, Ben said with satisfaction. He unbuckled Nicholas' sword and grabbed the quiver. Setting them aside, he turned to the rest of the group. Brothers, we will lift him as one and place him on his animal. As the others gathered on either side, two men in matching burnt orange caps nervously kept their distance, staring at Apollo with concern in their eyes. Amos, Enos, get over here, Ben said. This creature will not harm you. He might be hungry, Amos said. Ben rolled his eyes and huffed. Amos does smell of ginger, and Enos added with a nervous grin. Tinkers, Ben muttered with disdain. On my mark, ready, now lift! The little man grunted under Nicholas' weight, but managed to raise him from the ground, carrying him to Apollo. Using a stirrup as a step, Ben climbed up the saddle, then turned and grabbed Nicholas' arms, pulling him up and over as the rest of the man pushed from below. Bracing his feet on Apollo's opposite side, like a climber repelling off a cliff, Ben leaned back, pulling Nicholas' arms with all his might. Is that the best you can do? Ben grunted. Pushing together with renewed effort, the group nearly launched Nicholas across the saddle, and Ben crashed to the ground. The other men snickered as Ben dusted himself off with fire in his eyes. That was... He began in anger, but one look from the leader stopped him in his tracks, and he changed his tone. Very helpful. Good work, men, the leader said. Shall we be off? Aye, Amos said. Let us return. The men all nodded in agreement and mounted their reindeer while Ben gathered up Nicholas' spilled arrows and bow and placed them in the quiver. Picking up his sword, he nodded in approval at the craftsmanship and stowed the blade in its scabbard at Nicholas' side. When Ben reached for Apollo's reins, Apollo pulled away, not wanting to cooperate. Come now, animal, Ben said, reaching towards Apollo's muzzle to calm the horse. 
This is no time for foolishness. He reached for the reins with his other hand, but Apollo shook his head free and stepped away as he whinnied into defiance. Ben's temper began to rise. So you wish to fight me, do you? He said as he got into a defensive fighting stance. The other men chuckled as they watched the exchange. Realizing they were watching, Ben straightened up and turned to face them. He was being stubborn, he told the others as he gestured toward the horse. As he finished, Apollo nudged Ben from behind, almost knocking him down. The man laughed even harder. Ben grabbed Apollo's reins and looked Apollo in the eye. That is enough, creature. Apollo whinnied in protest, determined to have the last word. Ben, silently fuming, walked to Apollo to his reindeer and tied the reins to his saddle. Finally, he too mounted his deer, ready to ride. Seeing all was in order, the leader, still carrying the pulsating orb, gave the command. To the warren! He motioned to the others, and they followed the leader, riding up the hill with Ben bringing up the rear, bells jingling as they went. The little men rode through the night across a grassy valley and finally foothills that rose in elevation. As they climbed, the sparse foliage of the foothills gave way to a dense forest filled with pines, firs, and the kings of the forest, the mighty cedars of Lebanon. The ancient trees stood majestically, guarding the forest, their terrace branches reaching wide. The crown of each cedar stretched high above every tree on the mountain, their branches the first to bask in the light of the morning sun as a new day dawned on the group. It was at the base of one of the ancient cedars that the little men stopped. One by one the men dismounted and removed their saddles and tasseled blankets from the reindeer. Finally free of their burdens, the deer sprang across a crisp mountain landscape to a small grassy meadow to feed and rest. Approaching the tree, the leader purposefully stepped on a smooth, flat rock. The rock sunk into the ground, triggering a low rumble as the earth before the tree gave way and revealed descending stone steps. One by one, they appeared growing deeper and deeper until at last they exposed a small stone doorway and the rumbling ceased. Working together, the little man pulled Nicholas from his saddle and lowered his body to the ground, gathered his belongings, and sent Apollo to join the deer in the meadow. Then the men surrounded the unconscious warrior and carried his limp body down the stone steps to the door of their mountain home. As they started through the door with Nicholas' body head first, they got stuck on his shoulders. The group backed up and tried turning Nicholas the opposite direction, feet first, contorting his limp body and folding him over. But as they turned to unfold him, Enos stumbled, dropping Nicholas' head with a loud crack. The men gasped. Apologies, Enos said with his typical sheepish grin as he hurried to pick up Nicholas' dripping head. Daniel bent over Nicholas' chest to see if he was still breathing. He's still alive, Ben Daniel confirmed with delight. So far, Ben Moore remarked. In he goes, the leader said. As one, Ben said. Now! The men raised Nicholas' body and carefully entered the doorway, feet first, turning his body but still smacking his head against the doorpost as they went in. Apologies! Apologies! Enos could be heard to say as Ben closed the door, shaking his head. And that concludes Chapter 1 of Nicholas the Bringer by Sean Canelli. I really enjoyed reading that to you, and I hope you'll be back for the next chapter of the story. And if you know anyone who enjoys stories, please feel free to share this with them and share this video. And just remember that all of us need more hope in our lives. So be strong, be kind, and share the hope.